Um, Father, we just thank you for this precious time that we can get into your word. Lord, we don't take these moments lightly. These are the moments we're going to remember. You're going to point us back to that one night that you revealed yourself in a greater measure to us when we were looking at the scriptures, when we were singing at the altar, that you pulled back the curtains of this, this world even further, the veils that have we've allowed at different times through our different prideful agendas that you so, you're so kind and tenderhearted and you, you come around us and you say, lay it down, son and daughter. I have so much more. Humble King, teach us your humility tonight. Sovereign Lord, show us your wisdom. Let us see those scarred hands tonight. Let us see our value. That you are the almighty God, yet you came to this earth and you left with scars from this earth. And you, you chose to keep those scars for eternity. So every time we behold you, we see the price that you paid for us. Let us experience your agape love tonight. Father, we, we here in this earth, Lord, we, we so, we're, we're so bound by conditions. We're so bound to limitations. Yet you place your limitless spirit on the inside of us. Father, I thank you tonight that we would truly taste and see that you are good. I thank you that your presence would be palpable, that we could bite the atmosphere and taste that you are here. Father, I thank you for anybody in the room that's been truly, feels like they've been crawling through life, feels like they've been barely getting by, but they, they're hanging on. Lord, I thank you that tonight that you would give them rest. Yes, we love you, Lord. Can we just, if you know how to pray in the spirit, could you just pray in the spirit where you're at and just begin to, yes, Lord. Just say Jesus under your breath if you don't know how to pray in the spirit or if that's something. Just begin to say his name. Jesus. Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, we thank you, Lord. Yes. Yes. Let your river run wild. <laughs> Lord, you're so precise. You don't even, you don't only fill the cup, you overflow it, God. You don't overflow it because you're not paying attention. You overflow it because you're paying extreme attention. 
want my child, my children to have a lot, a lot of me. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, everyone said amen. Thank you all so much. Well, so I've, I've come to the conclusion that everything's better with Jesus. Anybody else? <laughs> Everything is better with Jesus. Oh, man. You know, once you taste the goodness of God, no other meal will satisfy. It's just the bottom line. It's just, there's something that is happening in this hour. A lot of us are aware of it, but we need to ask wisdom to lean into it even more. We really have to pay attention. You know, Jesus made a, a very sobering statement. He said that, he said he was talking to the Pharisees. He says, he says they know how to predict the weather by looking at the sky. They know, it, but but they don't know the signs of the times. That means that Jesus is actually expecting us to gauge where we're at. That we might not know the day or the hour, but we can know the season. We can know the time that we are in. We can be sober to that based off a biblical grid. And if you've been with us the past few weeks, we've been. We've been talking about being awakened to his story and what that means in just simple layman's terms is the fact that this Bible, you are not the main character. Jesus is the main character of this, this Bible. And the reason a lot of times people get confused and frustrated in Christianity because they think that it's all about them, not realizing that there's one that no, that no matter how selfishly you pursue things in this life, it will never come close to how much he loves you and values you. That your highest selfish opinion of yourself wouldn't even come close to how much he loves and values you. Isn't that precious? This is why he doesn't want us to be selfish because we actually cap the way he can love us because we, we begin to grade, engage how we should be loved instead of really recognizing he loves us more. This is why if you're a parent, you know your children when they're like, no, I want it now and I want it now, but the parent knows exactly what they need at the time and they're not doing it to withhold, they're doing it to teach them, to show them how to succeed in life, how to be who they're called to be. And if we read this Bible with a selfish lens, if we read it with the wrong narrative, we won't get to the main, the main point. And just because Jesus doesn't show up in our, our Bibles until Matthew does not mean he was not there from Genesis to Malachi. In fact, he is all through there. In fact, when you read the Bible, did you know the best way to study scripture is to put Jesus in the middle of every one of them? If you wanna rightly divide the word, Jesus has to be the center of every story. He has to be the center of every scripture. And if you try to manipulate it to certain personas or things, you will end up in confusion. But he is the lily of the valley. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the, the sacrificial lamb. He is everything. And 
This has been just rocking my world over the past few years. I, I can tell you very plainly that there is, you have to be so watchful how this book is taught. Do you, do you realize how sobering it is to speak on God's behalf? Do you know how many times people say, I really feel like the Lord is telling me this? You better be sure. <laughs> do you know how many times I've heard people, I just really feel like the Lord saying, what you're about to say, have you truly considered this? Have you truly, I, I, I try to be watchful with my words. Like I sense, I'll, I'll, I'll say things like, there's an impression upon my heart, I'm weighing it. I try to be watchful because God hears me when I say, I believe God said this. God's like, oh, what, what, what did I say? <laughs> Sometimes we don't think about it. The Bible says you have to give an account for every idle word. An idle word, a word that's useless, a word that you felt should be said, but didn't get permission from headquarters. If Jesus is Lord, he should be Lord of your mouth as well. Amen. As soon as Jesus became Lord, you no longer have an opinion. Did you know that? You're actually free from your opinion. It's beautiful. <laughs> because how, much, how many times has your opinion got you into trouble? He's actually delivering you from trouble. He saved me out of all my trouble. He saved you from your opinion. Just, just lay it down. It's a beautiful thing. I'm still learning. We're all learning, but we, it's important we know these truths. They're so freeing. But this is the reality that in America, there's such an entitlement culture that people don't recognize. Our culture doesn't understand lordship. They understand propping their voices up in their city to get what they want. They're used to, we are, we are a kingdom of Saul's. Uh, where not and Saul, the king saw that the people wanted a king when God really desired to be their king. And they propped up a man that was the best looking, the best warrior of all of them. And God said, have your king. And he was selfish and he wanted what he wanted. And God said, well, since you really want a king, you know what? If you let me pick, I want the shepherd boy. I want the one that nobody's looking for. I want the one, and this is going with our story, what we're going to get into tonight. God will pick the person that none of us will pick to expose the pride in all of our lives. When God exalts the humble, he exposes the proud. This is why as soon as somebody, and this will happen in our church, I just want you to know, and you have to be ready for it. There'll be times that God will just put his hand on somebody in our body. And it's somebody that everybody's like, well, why are they getting a, why are they this? Why are they? And God's like, exposed. <laughs> you just wanted the mic. You just wanted an opportunity. But instead of beating yourself up for feeling that way, all you have to do is say, Lord, thank you. Because if, if you keep building a tower of pride, it's going to hurt when it falls. But if you just build a little mud hut once in a while and God just knocks it over, it's all good. You know, it's like, all right, I built a mud hut of pride and he, he knocked it over. That's okay. But if you get really serious about your pride and you start building a tower, when that storm comes, you're not going to like it. 
You're going to get exposed that you've been building something that's worthless. Your own opinion, building something. But I want to, I want to speak to you about, I got to set a grid to be, is anybody finding the past couple weeks? Isn't it amazing before you read a passage, you go through a few details in the Bible to actually bring the story to fruition. Sometimes we'll just start at a passage and it's like, okay, what happened here? What's going on here? Like, and, and the, and I want to be watchful with my words. I, but sometimes what we have done, including myself is sometimes we read Bible stories and we're just looking for character development or we're just looking for practical application on how to make good decisions. I want you to know that all of that is a fruit of finding Jesus in the scriptures. Because if he's our ultimate example, the way that we, we find him in each story will actually reveal how we're supposed to behave in this life, how we're supposed to pursue in this life, how we're supposed to go after. Is everybody hearing me? So with that being said, I, I've just had this burning in my heart that I have to read this to set the tone for where we're going to go tonight. But if you go to John 17 and you start in verse 20, this is Jesus praying. A lot of people believe the Lord's prayer is when Jesus said, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's actually not the Lord's prayer. That was Jesus just giving a blueprint for how believers are to pray. It's just, but the true Lord's prayer is in John 17. This is when, and many theologians believe, which the timeline sets up, that this, was, this prayer was even in the Garden of Gethsemane. So when he's under extreme, extreme tribulation in his heart and, and he's wrestling, that he's actually praying for us. How many people are thankful that Jesus in his most excruciating moments on this planet thought of you and was praying blessing over your life? <laughs> Did you know we're, we're called to imitate him? That means that when you're going through some of your most excruciating situations, you shouldn't be thinking of yourself. You actually just make it worse because you're thinking about how bad it is and you're magnifying all of that stuff. But if you begin to imitate our Lord and you think, well, if he's our bridegroom, if he thought of his bride when he was going through it, we should think of him when we're going through it and he will give us rest because he's our bridegroom. He's looking for a bride that has him on her mind. Isn't that, wouldn't you, if, if, if you're a married person, don't you want your spouse to have you on their mind? Right? If you're, if you're dating, don't you want to, don't you want, and if you're single, don't you want to find somebody that thinks about you in a good way? Is it, is it that far-fetched to think that Jesus wants us to think about him? Not just our, our little lives and how well they're going. He'll take care of you. You got to keep your mind on him. Isaiah 26, 3. He who keeps his mind upon the Lord, he will keep him in perfect peace. Isn't that amazing? Scripture's awesome. You know, advice absent of Christ is deception. There's so many people that want advice. And when I, I share scripture with them, they're like, yeah, but something, no. I'm like, no, that's life. Sorry. I don't, you don't want to hear any advice from me that's absent of scripture. Did you see my life before I knew Jesus? 
If you want that advice, you know, just turn the news on. Just turn, just listen to some fools. That's what the Bible says. They're fools that don't, that don't look to God, don't believe in God. Yet we'll let so many YouTubers, TikTok people that have no reverence for God give us advice on all this different stuff. You gotta be watchful. Your ears aren't trash cans. You know, don't let that stuff in. So John 17, I'm gonna go to the, the end of it in verse 20. Jesus says this when he's praying for us after he's prayed for the 12 disciples and the people that were with him at that time. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Have you believed in Jesus through your word? Oh man, we gotta do the altar call now. What's going on? <laughs> wow, thank you. Have like, you believed in Jesus through your word? Oh, amen. Well, that was a little better. Um, that they all may be one. Everyone say one. one. This is a consistent theme in this prayer. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. This has been rocking me. Like, it's actually, it's causing me to lose sleep because I'm meditating on this and I don't see it happening. It's, 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 it's breaking my heart. Jesus is saying that just as him and the Father are one, does anybody believe they're kind of close? Maybe pretty tight? Anybody believe the Father and his Son are, you know, they've eternally been together? They love each other? They're on the same page. Does um, anybody catch that? Jesus says, just as they are one, that we would be one. I don't think you're getting it. We think one is just us showing up to the same church building. We did it, God. We're one now. That's not what he's talking about. Even Will and I, we have a deep friendship. We've known each other for years. It's still not that oneness. There's still barriers. There's still so much. And God is, God is after something that we think that, you know, doing a big event, and I'm not against that, but we think that doing a big event will attract the world and all those things. And all, but Jesus is saying that there, what would happen if an unbeliever walked through those doors and just looked around and be like, whoa, these people, there's such, a, there's such a love between them that I've never experienced before from even my own blood relatives. When's the last time somebody walked into our midst, into this body and was just like, almost fell out by the way we loved one another? Was so moved that it brought him to repentance because it says the world will know that you sent me by the way they love one another. Yet we're always looking, what is, what is our natural minds do? Oh, I, you know, they're okay, but I don't know about that. Like, you know, it's like, it's like our minds immediately go to every other thing instead of continually learning to lay ourselves down. That Jesus is looking for, come on, just think about Jesus. He's the king of the universe. What does he have in common with us? What could he talk about with us? 
He's on a whole nother level. He's on a whole nother level, yet he lays himself down and comes and lives among us. Says he humbled himself and became a man, not just a man, but he humbled himself to the point of death, even the death upon a cross. And it said God exalted him, highly exalted him, the name above every name, not just because he was his son, but because of his humility. It actually says that in scripture, that his humility just caused the father to say, every name must bow to this, my son. The way he laid his life down and he expressed our love to everyone. And, and you see, here's the thing is that in the Old Testament, what did we think when the Red Sea got parted? We're like, everybody, Moses and everybody thought this is going to be impossible, right? The Red Sea being parted, they're like, this is impossible. God said, lift your staff up, boom. These Jericho walls, how are they going to come down? Shout, march around the city. It, this is impossible, just do what I say. And what is... And, and now we're in the New Testament and we have a whole Old Testament full of all these stories that were impossibilities. And then Jesus comes to the earth and he doesn't pray for a Red Sea to part. He doesn't pray for walls to come down. He prays that we would become one. What, what was impossible, what we think is impossible because of all the denominations because of all the division, because of all the offenses, Jesus is saying, I will get what I prayed for. Yes. And what's about to happen, I want, I want to warn you all, we are about to be so humbled by the master's prayer. The way that God is calling us to love is going to destroy every ounce of pride in our lives. He is coming for pride like a seeking missile and any divisions in his church that are preventing his son's prayer being answered. Do you know how much the father loves his son? Do you think when Jesus said that they may be one as the father, you know how the father is like, you, my boy, my son, you will get what you ask for. And we don't see it happening right now. We don't see how the Red Sea is going to part. We don't see how the walls are going to come down. But I'll tell you what, we can either be willing participants. <laughs> how many people want to be willing participants? We need to ask the Lord for wisdom on how to love. We need to find out the way that he loves. And right before we get to our main story, in Acts 2, we find this happen that right out of the gate with the Holy Spirit, what happened? Soon as the Holy Spirit fell and they preached, what did they all do? They sold everything they had and they shared everything. Jesus' prayer got answered right away and through time, we've allowed culture to become our idol. We've allowed America to become our idol. We've allowed different things. And I'm telling you, I'm right with us all. I'm not here. I'm here to say that there's, God is calling his true remnant into something that culture stigmas, that political stigmas, we don't realize how much they're engraved in our minds. But he's pulling them out. Because just like he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, how many of them still wanted to go back even though they were free? 
How many of us have been born again into salvation, but we still do like some of the things of America? I'm not here saying America. I'm not, I want you all to hear my heart. Well, I know we live here, but I'm talking about culture discipling us. I'm talking about patriotism discipling us, that we are not of this world. We're not of this world. And Jesus did not come to be a political ruler. He did not come to say he, he came to show the family of God is transcendent to all of this. Even when his own family came to him or and they were knocking on the door where he was preaching, they're like, Jesus, your, your family's outside. He's like, what do you mean? My family is this person I'm talking to right in here. Because Jesus was making it clear that the family of God is supernatural. We are a part of a divine bloodline of Jesus Christ. It is so important that we begin to learn to love one another. Amen. And we ask for wisdom on that. Amen. So if you go to uh, Genesis chapter 37, I know it was a little bit of an exhaustive intro, but did that help you all? Are you seeing? I have to set a precedent for what he wants in order to, to truly get to where we need to get to tonight. Um, the desires of God, once they get on the inside of you, they confront every worldly desire you have. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That once you get a hold of what God wants, all of a sudden it exposes all the worldly desires I never in my life thought I would be addicted to praying. Never, never. I never in my life thought I would be obsessed with worshiping. I never thought that this book would be all, that when I am going through it, like, people would want to swing a bat or they would want to shoot a gun. I want to grab this book. I, I just want him. I never thought that. But the more you see him in his, this is why the Bible says, if you abide in him, the truth will set you free. There are so many people that jump off. They, they jump off way too quick. God is doing a work and they just get right out. They just jump right out. I, we, we could all go around the room. You know how many people I have seen cry at this altar only to go right back to the world, only to go right back to the pig bucket. Oh, I'll be here all the time. I'll be, and, and there's no shame. We would open arms right away, but I'm here to tell you how quick the enemy will get in your mind. And I want to make a statement to you before we... This was something that came up in my heart today. We would never entertain excuses if we saw how much power they give the devil to our minds. We would never entertain excuses if we saw how much power they give the devil to our minds. Did you know excuses are making covenant with bondage? Did you know God, one excuse never came out of his mouth and we're called to represent him. Do you know excuses are what mankind is known for there's excuses on things you buy they have all these excuses on them 
if this happens, if this happens, if this, you know, it's like excuses are everywhere because that's all we have. All we have is excuses. Excuses are, it's, we don't realize how quickly we, do you know when Jesus had disciples and they're like, we want to follow you. He's like, all right, come on. He's like, well, first I got to go bury my dad. First I got to do what Jesus says. You're not fit for the kingdom. That's not my words. You, you, you see, Jesus was, it's all or nothing, but he's graceful, he's tender, and he'll meet you where you're at. But you do not want to gamble with your soul. And the way you gamble with your soul is when you begin to start. Excuses mean that you feel entitled to not do what God says. I'll tell you a funny story real quick. A, a, a mentor of mine, he's, he's a, I love him dearly. Him and his wife were uh, over the, the kids' ministry at a church that they were at, and there was this one woman that came up to him and his wife, and they said, they said she said, I heard the Lord tell me I need to start helping out with kids' ministry. And they're like, praise God, right? That's awesome. And they're like, well, you need, to, you need to be there this Sunday, this time, and this time. And then that morning comes, and she's 30 minutes late. And my buddy <laughs> saw that she texted his wife, and she saw the phone, and she said, I'm going to be running 30 minutes late. And he grabbed the phone. He says, so you're going to be 30 minutes late to what God told you to be serving at? <laughs> you see, people very flippantly will get fired up about things, but then they have zero reverence for the, the, the commitments they make and the things that they have. And it's important that we, we are people that are of conviction because we're representing him and he's faithful. So if, uh, that, I'm not here to say that you're always going to get it, but we should endeavor by the Spirit to be people of our words and ultimately of His word. Amen? So when it comes to understanding where we're at in this moment of time and when we're reading Scripture, love never fails, we know. In Genesis, when Adam... And Eve, when Adam sinned, when they rebelled against what God said, when God came to them, what did they immediately begin to do? Blame deflect. Immediately. Like God said, he, he was just interrogating, you know, what's going on? And Eve said, the devil made me do it. The serpent made me do it. And then when he, Adam said, the woman you gave me made me do it. Did you see that this is exactly what sin does? It's you can't surrender what you don't take ownership of. And there's so many people that live in their sin because they never take ownership that it's their fault. So they live bound. Pride. You can only surrender what you own. You can only give the sin away if you admit you sinned. But pride... Will, will, will create nice incubated closets for your sin. 
to keep it nice and fresh. You can make a whole room for your sin. There's excuses for this sin. You don't know what they did to me, God. Do you know what they did to his son? 100% right. Nailed to a cross. He's praying for you. And you can't forgive in this life. No, he's empowered you to do so. He set an example. He set a standard. But they're deflecting, blame deflecting. And right after that, Cain and Abel are born. Everyone say Cain and Abel. So Cain and Abel are the, the first generation from Adam and Eve. You see, Adam was made in the image of God, but Cain and Abel were made in the image of Adam. He was fallen. So when they're both born, they're supposed to bring an offering to God. And Cain brings an offering of the field. And it says Abel brought the best from a herd. And I truly believe that Abel learned from his father. I know this is a little bit of liberty I'm taking, but when Adam sinned in the garden, God covered them with tunics, with animal skin. So I believe that Adam learned that when we come to God, we have to slaughter an animal. I believe Adam learned that and he taught his boys that when you come to God, you have to bring a blood offering. I know that's a little bit of liberty there, but from the way that scripture pertains, there's a reason why Cain's offering wasn't acceptable. It wasn't a blood offering. It was from the cursed ground. <laughs> and what God says to him, God just gives him a rebuke. He says, Cain, why are you angry? Because God said he didn't like Cain's offering. He liked Abel's offering. Did you know that God judges your offerings? It says it right there. He said that Cain's was despicable. It wasn't. And he said Abel's he accepted. And Cain got so mad because God corrected him on the way he brought his offering. And you know what Cain did? This is how you got to see Jesus in scripture. Abel was a standard of truth. And when Cain found out that Abel was right and he was wrong, instead of saying, you know what? I'll do better. He said, I'm going to kill the standard. Do you know when Jesus came to the earth, he revealed the standard of heaven. And they all said, we're not bowing down to that. We'll just kill him. All throughout the Bible, man keeps trying to get rid of the, the standard of truth. The enemy's using man. But what the enemy doesn't realize is God will actually use the wickedness and the evil as chess moves on his board. And so this whole thing goes on with Cain and Abel. And there's, this is why we're going back that God wants oneness between all of us. But what keeps happening is from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, marital problems right out of the gate. Your fault, your fault. Then their kids are killing each other. Then the next generation, then you got Noah's boys. They're, they had a whole weird shebang. And then you got Ham and Shem, all those. And then, and then you go down the line, Abraham and Lot, his nephew, they're having issues. And then you go to Isaac and Ishmael. We're still suffering the issues of that experiment today. And then you got Jacob and Esau. Once again, we're still seeing that today. And then the 12 tribes of Israel, 
all of that. And there was always this animosity. And Jesus wants there to be the oneness there, but he's actually exposing the wickedness of man, how there's no rest because there's constantly comparing and there's constantly looking to the left and to the right and fighting. Even when Jesus, remember when Jesus rises from the grave and he's having breakfast with the disciples and he comes up to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And it's this beautiful moment. And then Jesus says, they're going to walk you where you don't want to go. And they're going to stretch your arms out wide. You know what Peter does? Jesus has given him a word and he says, well, what about John? <laughs> While he's having an intimate moment with the Lord, constantly comparing, constantly looking around. And there's no rest because there's, God is after something and we have to see that it's this division that we have to come against. So when, when we see in Genesis 37, everyone say Joseph. So Joseph is Jacob's son of his preferred wife, Rachel. He's the eldest son of Rachel. Rachel was the bride that Joseph or that Jacob truly desired. And she only had two boys and it was Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph was the eldest son. When Benjamin was born, Rachel died giving childbirth. So Joseph loved these boys because they, they reminded him of his precious bride. So they meant so much to him. Now, when we read, I'm just going to give you a big recap of this, this story, but this is going somewhere huge tonight. Are you ready? Well, I know we've been setting, so I'm going to hit this for us. But if you get to verse chapter 37, this sets the tone for who Joseph is at the beginning. And it says, now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Everyone say Canaan. Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old, young whippersnapper, was feeding the flock with his brothers and the lad was with his sons of Bilal and the, the sons of Zilpah. His father's wives, Joseph brought a bad report to them to his father. Now watch this. What does, what does he do right here? is he is standing for morality. That soon as he sees his brothers are in wickedness or in things, he goes and reports it to his father. Do you see that this is showing Christ through Joseph's character? Through, God is telling a story through Joseph that Joseph, I, I, sometimes I always hear different sermons when people try to pick stories from the Bible. They're like, oh, Joseph was a tattletale. This is why he got thrown into the pit. Then where do you get this stuff from? Like, see Christ in the story. Don't just make your own little motivational sermon out of practical things you can take away from the Bible story. Find Jesus in the story and reveal him. Amen? I, this is big because you'll find conferences about dreams with Joseph. Like, it's all about your dream. Joseph didn't receive, he got that dream from God and it, that dream was about everybody bowing down to him. Do we want to entitle Americans to go to a dream conference to hear about everybody bowing down to them? But this is what people do. They'll just take a story from the Bible and apply it to our little lives instead of looking at Christ in the story. And I, it's just a pet peeve of mine, but I just want that, that, when you're, when you're reading this, it says that he went and he had morality, but then it says now Israel, who is Jacob, his also known as Israel, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. 
Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. So Joseph not only stands for righteousness and holiness among his brothers, but his dad loves him more than all the other ones and gives him a symbolic jacket in front of them all. Now, this is intense, right? I mean, let's just be real. What if you grew up in a home and it was very obvious that one of your siblings was just favored to the highest degree? We have, we have, um, I mean, we have school, we have like whole medical systems to help people with those types of environments. But, but you see what God is telling us through the story is that his son, Jesus, is more favored than all men and that we need to get used to it. He's telling a story that the, the one with many colors that he's revealing his son to us, to us all, and that he stands for morality, and it's very obvious that he is the most loved. Would we all agree that Jesus is the, is the gem of heaven, that we all worship and we all look to him? So it's God telling a story here. Now, it says, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. What is God doing? He is actually sharing when his son comes to the earth later, they're going to hate him because they're going to see that God favors him, that there's signs, wonders, and miracles, and they're going to conspire through their hatred. Do you see, we have to read the stories of the Bible to see Christ in them all, because if you read the stories like we are right now, you might find out where we're actually at in this hour of time. Do you see that? That if you read the story of Joseph, I'm going to help you get to a climax tonight that is going to show you about something where we might be stepping into in the age right now. Just by reading the Old Testament, because I truly believe this is what the apostles did. The apostles would read the story of the Old Testament and try to find out where they were at in, in, the, in the moment of time based off reading the stories of the Old Testament, because that was all they had. They're like, well, this is when Jesus came. He just came, so this must be where we're at right now based off these stories. They were reading the stories of the Bible like it was a forecast of where they were at in life. Have you read the Bible like that? Do you think it's important that we do? Would that change maybe how selfish we read to actually get in eternally focused that we're reading the Bible to find out where are we at in this moment of time right now? If I read the word, Holy Spirit, help me discern the sobering reality of where we're at. Isn't that amazing? So then it says, now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. What happened when Jesus began to share who he was? Remember, they, they said blasphemy. They hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. Indeed, your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. All right? This isn't going to go over well. All right? This, he's sharing this with his siblings, hoping that they... But you see, he, I believe he's doing it innocently. I don't believe he's doing it vindictively. I believe that he has a dream and he wants to share it. And all they're perceiving is 
you're, you just want us to bow down to you. He didn't, he didn't, that wasn't his dream. God gave him the dream. Did you know that God is going to place things in our heart that will actually cause the wickedness around us to begin to hate us? That the things that God begins to stir in your heart will cause there to be a rage of Satan in your family members. You'll begin to, the Lord will begin to awaken certain righteous truths, certain things in your heart. You'll have even dreams of, of maybe even warnings for your family that line up with scripture and, you'll sh and you could share it and you could be so heartfelt and you'll, the rage of Satan will begin to come because he wants to keep people bound. And what he does is his rage is to intimidate you. But if your reward is Christ, you won't be intimidated. But if your reward is the way people feel about you, you'll buckle. If your reward is keeping people liking you instead of making sure that he's being exalted with the right heart, not force, you're, not, you're not trying to offend people. It's just you have to stand for truth, amen? And there will come a time where um, this world, it's becoming more and more obvious. The world is headed off a cliff right now. People, like, you have to, what, I was just sharing this over the weekend when I was, uh, when we were sharing with a bunch of churches. We preached the gospel to a, a bunch of churches. And I said, the church is wasting way too much time trying to calm a storm when God said, build a house. He said, make sure you're building a house because the storm is coming. But when the storm comes, if you've done what I've said, that your house will withstand that storm. But the church thinks that, man, we gotta just, we gotta spend time on this storm, like this storm, and, and what, did no, what did Jesus said? It'll be like the days of what? And what was Noah doing when the storm was coming? He wasn't, he wasn't going out to the, the field and saying, like, what are we going to do to make this not happen? No, it was coming. He's just like, I got to build. I got to build for my family. Even if my family thinks I'm crazy, when that storm comes, they're going to jump on this thing. You might have family members right now that think you're crazy. Keep building because when the storm comes, they'll jump in. They'll just get it. You got to stand up. You got to stand in the gap because God has given you spiritual insight. You need to thank the Lord for, for that and you need to build for your family. There's, fa there's prodigal sons and daughters in this that are running right now. There are family members that are running. But if you stay true and you just keep your eyes on him and you keep that word as your foundation, God will be the one that will bring them into your ark. He will bring them in. And I, I just want to encourage you with that because that's what this story testifies. It's amazing. So... Then his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion? If you know this story, this is hilarious. They are so mad about these dreams, not realizing the dreams that they can't stand him for are the dreams that are going to deliver them. The reason the Pharisees hated Christ was actually the only thing that could save them. This is why you have to be humble, because if you're not humble, you'll miss it all the time. I love what Eric Gilmore says. It says, when you're humble, 
It means, you're, it means everything goes over your head because you're down low. Everything goes over your head. So even when somebody says something vicious or things like that, you're like, it just went over my head. <laughs> oh, they said that to me? Oh, I didn't, it just went over my head. I don't live in that realm because that's, that's, that's giving the enemy too much credit. That's giving him too much authority to be moved. I'm a part of an unmoved, an unshakable kingdom, right? If you're part of an unshakable kingdom, don't let the enemy shake you. Come on. So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. You think, and this is the thing, you think he would have learned. But this is the thing is when God speaks to you, you don't mind being a punching bag. Jesus literally was a punching bag. They let him, they let, he let the world beat him to a pulp and didn't defend himself. He laid himself down, it says. He didn't just lay himself down, he let them rip his beard. He let them swing at him, punch him. The king of the universe. And we get mad if somebody responds to a comment on Facebook We have to humble ourselves or we're going to miss it. I don't want us to miss it. I don't want people to miss it. And you don't want to get caught up. The enemy, the enemy can get you down a, a really bad path in no time if you yield to arguments, to trivial talk. He's just setting, he's setting traps all day long, just seeing if you'll take the bait. And he knows exactly when to come. He can tell when you're boiling. I, I, th what helps me, like even, I, th I look, I think of the enemy like this. I, I feel like when I get upset or things like that, that I, I just think of like a little devil, like walking up to me and handing me suggestions. That's how I think it, that just helps me. Like I'll be mad and I'll just think, I'll just think, I'll see a little devil like, hey, say this, say this, say this. And they'll like hand, I'm like, yeah, that's a great one. You jerk, you, you know, it's like all of a sudden, it's just, it just feels like some, it's like, how did I become so witty all of a sudden? It's not you. The enemy's giving you suggestions and he's just getting you to sign off on it. Just waiting for you. He, the devil has no voice in this life unless you give it to him. He can put thoughts in your head, but it's, are you going to give them transportation or are you going to destroy them by taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? Then he dreamed still another dream and he told his brothers and said, look, I've dreamed another dream and this time the sun, the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. <laughs> oh man. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept this matter in mind. You know what's, what's ironic about this is God spoke 
to his father through dreams. Yet, he's offended by his son's dreams because of the content. Because it's, it's challenging the family, what's happening. You see, Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. He's actually said, I came with a sword to divide whose sheep, whose goats, whose wheat and whose tear, that, that sometimes we don't realize that God is actually extremely controversial just because he wants all the world out of you. And he'll go to every measure to expose every bit of world in you. And he'll do it through a means that you would have never have thought would be good. Like if you, if you read the Old Testament, you read how Jesus went about exposing things. God exposed the whole planet by sending his son to the earth and allowed them to pick the crucifixion, allowed them to pick the death penalty for his son. And then they all had realized that they actually just killed the Lord of the universe. Like this is how God reveals things. And if we don't remain humble, if we don't ask the Lord to help us, we don't realize how quickly the enemy could just hijack our, our thought process. And all of a sudden we think that a president is the savior. Or we think that this person is a savior. Or we think that this idea, the, only the word. Jesus says it, it is going to get darker. And uh, once again, uh, just to, to fast forward here, Joseph's brothers, I'm going to give you a super reader digest. You ready for this? This is going to help you out. So Joseph is supposed to go help his brothers out in the field and his brothers start conspiring and they say, we're going to bury this sucker. But we're going to take a, a lesson from, uh, we're, going to, we're going to do it just like Cain, our great, great, great uncle Cain, how he just took his brother out, Abel, we're doing it today. And they couldn't stand this. They couldn't stand him. They couldn't stand And They're waiting for him to come and they threw him in a pit. They threw, their, they threw him in a pit. But you know what's awesome? You see, they thought that they were burying them, but God was planting them. God was planting them. And what we, re what we don't realize is when people or when situations begin to come at us for the truth, when things begin, the way that you perceive it will determine everything. Do you know Jesus let them crucify him? They let them do. And you see, Joseph gets sold into slavery, okay? And he goes to Egypt. Everyone say Egypt. Egypt, but he gets sold into slavery. What did Judas do to Jesus? Betrayed him and sold him for the price of a slave. Once again, this is all throughout the Bible. It's telling us a story. It's going through. So Joseph gets, once he gets to Egypt, he actually ends up being an overseer for one of the officers of Pharaoh, which is Potiphar. And he's overseeing the entire house. And the Bible says that they all saw the Lord was with him. They all saw that the presence of God was with him, even though he was a slave. That's not an ideal situation, but he's actually revealing God is with him, even being restricted in this life. Do you know how so many people say, man, if I was just this or this, people would really see how anointed I am. Or people would see, and he's actually a slave 
revealing the anointing of heaven, revealing God in the midst of it. So then, once again, he's doing everything perfectly. He's not complaining or griping anywhere, just serving, keeping his head down. You know why? Because he knew something was peculiar about the way God had spoken to him as a young boy. And he knew that there was something there. He couldn't perceive it. Has anybody, has God given people words in this room before that you, you, you kind of see a picture of where things are headed, but you have no clue how it's getting there. And in fact, you're like looking at your life right now, like this is complete chaos. How is this even, what is happening right now? Like, oh my, but God, God is amazing. And he's using all this. So what happens is that Potiphar's wife, everyone say Potiphar's wife. She gets, she thinks Joseph is pretty fly. <laughs> she sees this, this young buck and she starts eyeing him up by he's, uh, you know, being Mr. Nanny and he's cleaning the house. He's doing things, strutting around and Potiphar's wife's like, Hmm, <laughs> Mr. Potiphar's been pretty busy and she starts going after him. Now think about this. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He is at a low point in life. Nobody, he has a chance to stick it to his boss. His own wife wants to sleep with him. Nobody knows. He's at the, he's, he's in a, he's been sold into a pit. He's a slave now. You know what? I deserve this. I deserve some relief. I deserve, you know what he does? She makes a move on him and he runs out of the house and she actually even grabbed his clothes. He ran right out of his clothes. <laughs> When's the last time you ran away from sin and it was that obvious? Do you know my, one of my old youth pastors, you know what he used to say to me? He says, when you think, you know, like for instance, if somebody struggles with pornography or something like that, he used to say, when, you have a, when you're tempted, yell at the top of your lungs. Just something simple. You're not going to yell at the top of your lungs if people are home and it's late at night. You're not going to, you see, but the thing is, is that once again, we try to find, I, I deserve this or I can get away with this not realizing that, that God is empowering you to walk into a whole new realm of his love. And that's cancer. It's poisonous to your spirit. There's a reason that God's against it. It's not just because bad boy, I don't want you to do it. No, it's, it's, it's actually harmful to your soul. It creates a bad, it, it, it'll, it'll damage you with future relationships. You'll desire things that are, that are, that are not godly in your relationships and so forth because you're feeding images to your mind. Amen. So Potiphar, so he runs out of the house, but his Potiphar's wife is so angry that she tells Potiphar and the servants that he, he did sleep with her because she has his clothes and everything. And she frames him. Everybody say falsely accused. Does that sound like Jesus standing for righteousness, standing for godliness Resisting temptation in the wilderness, being falsely accused. Then guess what? He had it really good. He was an overseer of a house. 
Now he's in prison. He's in prison now with the butler and the chef. <laughs> he's in prison. And guess what? They start sharing their dreams with him. He could be like, you know what? Get your dumb dreams, you dumb butler, you dumb chef. I haven't done anything wrong. You cook bad and you probably served them bad. That's why you're down here. I didn't do anything wrong. They start sharing their dreams. And you know what he does? He begins to interpret their dreams. Do you see that? He's sowing into other people's dreams, even when it seems like his are completely gone. This is why it's important, because what did Jesus do that even while he was on the cross, he begins to minister to the thieves on the cross that were with him. He begins ministering. And it, the funny thing is, just quick, is that the butler's dream was good. The butler had a dream and it was three days and then of all this surplus. And he's like, well, that means in three days you're gonna be let go and everything's gonna be good. And then the chef had a dream and it was something about, there was something on his head getting eaten. And he's like, oh yeah, you're gonna be executed in three days. And both the dreams came to pass. And the butler, Joseph said, hey, when your dream comes to pass, can you let Pharaoh know about me? The butler forgot about him. And he's living his best life now. And Joseph is still in prison. But then the Pharaoh has a dream. Everyone say, Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh has a dream. And this is where it's really interesting. He has a dream that seven years and the way that it gets interpreted, it's this long dream with skinny cows and fat cows. But the, the, the purpose is, is that Pharaoh gets so aggravated and frustrated by this dream, so he calls all the magicians to help interpret it, to help him understand the dream. None of them can do it. And then the butler's like, oh yeah, there was this one guy in jail that I was hanging out with. He's like, he's pretty good at this. It's like about time, right? But you see, God knows exactly when to put you before the right people. God knows exactly how to set things up. That you have been wondering why you're still in maybe prison in some of your minds. Maybe in all, all this and all of a sudden, they bring Joseph before and Joseph perfectly, accurately interprets a dream. But you know what he says before that? He says, I don't interpret dreams. It's like, it's, it's God. So he gives all glory to God before he says anything. And then when he, what did Jesus say when he was on the earth? I do nothing unless I first hear my father say, so you see, it's all throughout the whole story. And then Joseph says, there's going to be seven years of surplus and then seven years of famine. Everyone say famine. famine. So the seven years of surplus, Joseph gets put in charge of all the land. He's second in command, just like that. Just like that, he went from the prison to second in command from interpreting a dream. And he puts him in charge of getting everything ready. So what happens is he gets all of the goods together. For seven years, he is storing up. It says it was immeasurable, the way. But you know what they're storing up? They're storing up grain, like bread. That's what they're storing up. And what happens is when this famine hits, everyone say Canaan all of his brothers and his father, they are now without food. 
because a famine has hit. And guess where they, the only place they can go is Egypt. The only place that they can find food is there. Do you remember when Jesus was uh, multiplying bread? And then all of a sudden, all the people wanted to make him king because of the bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You want this, but you actually have to eat of me. You see, Jesus was prophetically saying in that is that this world is in a famine. And there's only one place you can go to actually eat of eternal life. So this famine hits and all the brothers have to, have to go. But you see, they only, only 10 of them go. But there's actually 12 of them. But Joseph, they think, is gone. They definitely don't expect Joseph to be second in command if they sold him as a slave, right? Just like a lot of people think that Jesus couldn't be Lord if they could actually kill him. They're like, we don't think he's going to be at the right hand, second in command. So he's, at, he's, he's second in command and 10 brothers come, but they don't let Benjamin come because Benjamin is treasured by Jacob. So they all come and they're, they're begging and, and Joseph hides himself and doesn't allow them to see him. And they all begin to come and guess what they do as soon as they walk up? They all bow down. They all bow down. And Joseph is weeping under the mask. He's, he can't believe what's happened, but he's frustrated because he doesn't see fully yet, but he's frustrated because these are the jokers sold me into slavery. Now I have the power to destroy them. I have the power to make them all my slaves. Did you know Jesus has that power over us? But you see, this is what what Joseph, you see, they don't realize he knows everything. And there's people that are very dismissive with God, not realizing he knows everything. That they think that they came and then they begin to say their story. And Joseph knows that Benjamin is not there. And you see, until God exposes everything you're withholding, he'll make you go back. So they come and they want bread. And you know what Joseph says? He says, I'm holding half of you captive and you're going to go get Benjamin. He doesn't say that. He says, you're going to go get your other brother and you're bringing him back here. And then they, they send him back and there's all these things going on. Then they bring Benjamin back, okay? Now, this is where it's so precious because they bring Benjamin back and then they come to him and Joseph sees Benjamin and he's still hiding himself and they begin to eat and they begin to fellowship and they're, they're crying and he's not revealing himself yet, but then they're about to go back. And you know what Joseph does is he puts something in Benjamin's backpack and on their way back, he sends soldiers out and he says, expose it. And he says, Benjamin's going to now be a slave because of what's there. And Judah, everyone say Judah. Judah. You know what Judah does? Judah says, you cannot make him a slave. 
I will stand in the gap. I will be the slave. Let him go. Because if you don't let him go, my father will die because that's his only beloved son left. Okay, now you got to follow me here. Soon as Judah said this, the very next verse, it says Joseph could no longer restrain himself. He had to reveal himself. Watch this. Judah, which is, this is a replica of the church, the true bride, that Judah, once he stood in the place of the son, which God is looking for his remnant in this hour to stand in the gap for his son, Jesus, for what he desires. When Judah stepped in and says, I am going to stand in this world on behalf of the son for the father, that is when Jesus, Joseph, revealed himself. That God is looking for a church, looking for his church to come together in oneness, to stand in the gap, to stand on behalf. And this is when Jesus is going to reveal himself. Do you see this scripturally and prophetically? That God is waiting for a church to truly have a sacrificial love, that intercession that as we are standing in the gap through prayer, praying, starting to getting our minds off of ourselves and praying for our family, praying for friends that don't know Christ, praying for Israel, getting things that are in the Father's heart, standing in the gap, that it's when we stand in that place that Christ begins to reveal himself more and more to the bride to a point where he can't restrain himself and he pulls the skies back. Do you see this in the story? That this is giving us prophetic insight of what God desires, of what he's looking for. And this is, and if worship team, you can come. This is what, and please hear me right here. I know, it's, I know this has been a Bible teaching. Has you been following me though? That this is, that you need to read the story of Joseph. It's, it's, it's Genesis 37 all the way to the end of Genesis. It's the way you finish the book of Genesis, Genesis 37 to 50. You read it, you get it in your heart, and you see Christ in the mix. But this is the thing, is that in Genesis 50, you see, the brothers, they were standing before, and one, could you imagine, could, listen, could you imagine those brothers, they sold him into slavery, and now, what do you think they thought of when their brother revealed himself? Do you, do you see that this is the book of Acts when Peter preached that sermon? The one you crucified, the Lord of glory. That they crucified him and then they turn around and they realize that's the one that just, he's the one? Like, and they have to stand before him now like, he, he has the power to crush, he has, but he's, he's so tender hearted in this moment, the Lord does something. But here's the thing. It's the first encounter because in Genesis 50, Jacob, their father, everyone say Jacob. Jacob dies in Genesis 50. And you know, all of his brothers get scared again. Why do you think they got scared? Because they thought that maybe, they, maybe Joseph was only playing nice because dad was still alive. There are some people that 
Do you know that there's gonna come a day where you have to stand before Christ and nobody's going to vouch for you? Nobody's going to be standing to your left, your right. Nobody's gonna come up and be like, man, I know he, he really did come to church a lot. Was he Lord? Was I Lord to you? That's the thing, it's, it's so important that, but when Jacob dies, do you know all of them are so scared, they're like, now he's really gonna get us. And you know, this is where we get the famous scripture, I wanna read it to you, go to Genesis 50. In Genesis 50 it says this, starting in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. Can, is anybody in the room, can you imagine that if you don't accept Jesus as Lord, do you know what's coming to people that don't repent? Do you know they're gonna have to stand before God that they killed his son, that they, they spit on his blood with their selfish lives? Do you know what's waiting for them? This is why we have to have compassion and pray for our enemies, amen? And this is, it says, so they sent messengers to Joseph because they didn't want to confront them, saying, before your father died, he commanded, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and all their sin and the evil they did. Now please forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. So think about this. They're just making this up. They're like, our dad said, please don't hurt us. Just don't do it, please. Like they're freaking out. Like, please just send a message. And Joseph is weeping because he sees the way that they're tortured and the way they feel. And this is what he says. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. What are they doing again? They're bowing down. And they said, behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore do not be afraid, I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see, this is, this is what it's all about right here, is that they conspired, they made it, they were evil, it was, it was all this, and then Joseph saw that this was all meant for God's good. There are people that are bucking so hard, and I'm here to tell you, he is so sovereign. He is using everything the enemy has used for evil against you. Tonight, if you would prophesy with us tonight, that you would begin to speak and you would begin to stop complaining. You would begin to stop fighting. You would begin to stop fighting for the wrong things. And you get in this narrative with him and you get this what Judah did and you say tonight, I'm gonna stand in the gap for my family. I'm gonna stand in the gap. I'm gonna stop being self-focused and I'm gonna get, is, is anybody getting stirred tonight that, that God is calling his bride? We need to know these scriptures. It's not about another hype message. It's about finding Christ in this book so you're prepared to stand before him. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna sing. 
what the enemy meant for evil God has turned it into good and I want us to stir it up tonight I want you to get it so if um, if, if you just feel stirred in your heart right now about that you can tell that there's been attacks, that there has been persecution, there's been things in your life, and you're, you're ready to give that to the Lord tonight and stop trying to figure it out. I just want you to run to the altar. Let's just decree this together before we leave tonight. Allow God to do what he needs to do in your heart. Come forward, and we're going to just sing this out together, and you can stand as we decree this, even in your seat.